This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Let me welcome to the show, uh, since we see him, when they see us, he won an Emmy for that. He won an Emmy for that. He was amazing. But people don't know that he's also uh, a recording artist. He's got a new album out. Let me welcome to the show uh, the extraordinary Jarrell Jerome. Welcome. How are you guys doing? Thank you so much for having me. It's an hey. honor Yeah, Lamont, uh, Lunell stuck around just for you. She wanted, to, she wanted to see you. She wanted to hang Lunell, out. how are you? Such a big Hi. Thing you. So yeah. good to see you. You're amazing actor. You deserve the Emmy and much more. Sorry we don't care about your album. We don't. <laughs> <laughs> we want you to keep <gasps> acting forever and ever and ever. Oh, and my God. <laughs> no. <laughs> Wait, so, <laughs> Jarrell, talk to that a little bit because that's your passion. You know, you we see you on the big screen. You did an amazing job in Ava DuVernay's uh, amazing yes. series that should have won many Emmys. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. how do you balance that and answer Ludell? Like when people say we don't care about your music, <laughs> damn. No, I mean, no. Uh, my passion is storytelling. You know, it's just art in general. I think art is medicine. So, however it is, I mean, dancing, singing, rapping, painting, whatever it is, uh, I just love the idea of of telling a story that people can close their eyes and feel and listen to, or or just experience regardless of how it is so uh when it comes to the music i just i just love hip-hop so much i grew up doing it way before i was acting i was i was freestyling and i was in the park with my boys rapping with them and, and singing songs and listening to slick rick and big pun and lauren hill and erica badu and just falling in love with the idea of rhyming and telling stories through rhyme so when the acting platform happened for me um i decided to either take the music and keep it as a hobby or, or turn it into a career and turn it into something that I can keep there with me in the forefront. So I decided to to do it, you know, but listen, I'm not going to be that rapper that's all up in your face and all up all, all up on the videos and every week talking about this and talk about that and talk about this girl and talk about that drug and all that. That's not going to be me as an artist, you know. Hopefully when you hear my music, you can feel the actor in me the whole time. <clears throat> all right, so... This is a particular time we were talking about uh, before I think even Linnell came in. This is a very, I've never lived through a period like this, you know, where so much is happening. And I think we're in a a seismic shift as a culture, Mm. as a, as a, and and not not even as a country, because I think it's global. Mm -hmm. How do you put that into your art? How do you express that? You know, because I think you, you don't have the luxury anymore to sit on the sidelines as an artist and not have an opinion about what's happening or have the wrong opinion. Yeah. Right. Well, that, that, what you just said is my biggest fear is the wrong opinion. See me, I'm 22. I'm a kid. I'm a baby. You know, I, I, I'm so new to everything in life, including this fame thing, including this whole Hollywood aspect of things, the attention, the media. And then on top of that, 2020 happens, you know, so mentally I'm going through it. You know, I'm trying to figure mm-hmm. out exactly how I can have this voice, but at the same time have a voice that everyone can lean on in the right ways, you know? So right now, I'm not speaking at all. (laughs) I'm staying quiet. I'm Mm. staying low because I want to learn first. I want to educate myself. I'm reading now. I'm reading, I'm reading, I'm watching interviews. I'm watching documentaries. I want to know what I'm saying before I say it. 
Because if mm-hmm. I say something now and it's the wrong thing, me not even knowing it's the wrong thing, mm-hmm. that that's my biggest fear, and that's what I'm afraid of. And you know, uh, cancel culture or whatever that is. That that that's a thing that that weighs on anybody who's trying to think about being in Hollywood now or trying to be somebody. So it's a lot of um, it's a lot of older people that need to take that approach as well. I was gonna say, can we can we take this clip and send it to Kanye? All right, I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> well, you see, like looking up to people like that and looking up to artists who have said the wrong things that's where it comes from you know it's understanding like no matter how great a person is sometimes their opinion doesn't relate to yours or you can't agree with them and so it's understanding that not everybody's going to agree with you and not everybody's going to feel you so talk less think more or you know work more i I love i love i I love you (laughs) i love you i get it (laughs) what what are you reading um, right now, I'm reading Baldwin. I'm reading right. Baldwin right now. And I, it's, it's all new to me. And I'm not going to be fake and be like, I've always been reading Baldwin. Or I've always been up to date. Or I've always been up to speed. I'm not going to front and fake it like that. I'm going to say, no, I'm, I'm out of tune. And I like to be in tune. And I like to learn about everything before I can even say anything. And so, to me, I'm happy that my work has taught. And I'm happy that my work has allowed people to feel but when it comes to what I have to say, I want to craft that perfectly mm-hmm. and specifically so that when it is time for me to come out of the sidelines and speak and have that voice, that it's the proper voice and it's the right voice that is fair, you know? And so I just have to, I just have to take my time with it. I think patience is key. And I think in a time like this, it's okay to be patient and it's okay to not rush to say what you have to say. I think that right now we're all so angry and worked up and nervous and confused and scared for November and scared for everything pretty much that the first thing we're going to say is going to be anger. The first thing we're going to talk about is anger and why we're angry about it. So before I have to let out my anger, I need to understand why I'm angry and how I could adjust to that anger and not sound angry when I'm talking, you know? Oh, man. Uh, wow, I want to bottle you. I'm going to scratch you and clone you. Jarrell Jerome is here, Emmy Award winning Jarrell Jerome. He's about to appear in something called The Concrete, excuse me, Concrete Cowboy, about a 15-year-old who's sent to live with his dad. Uh, he's from the hood, and he's sent out west, I guess, to live. Uh, Idris Elba is in it. Uh, Lorraine Toussaint is in it. Method Man is in it. Uh, is this part of the out you know the outpouring of jobs that you're getting after the emmy or did was this already in the works this was already in the works but i shot it after the emmy so i definitely felt really cool shooting it and the director was obviously like thank you for winning that emmy that's only going to help this project <laughs> but uh no it, it had been in the works i actually haven't shot anything since after the end, it's like anything new because I'm very picky and I say no to a lot of things. My favorite word is longevity. Wow. My favorite word. Longevity 22. in my career. Yeah. <laughs> my Who says no? Who pick. says no? Listen, oh I'm telling you now, I didn't I'm telling you, I didn't speak like this two, three years ago. You know, with the way with the way life changed for me, I had to either indulge in the fame and be a kid or grow up and realize what I need to do to make this last. Because I'm not trying to be here for a year or two. I'm trying to be here for a long time. So I actually have been saying no to a lot of projects that I feel doesn't challenge me as an actor and challenge me in my career. I already did When They See Us in Moonlight. I'm trying to challenge myself more than that. I'm not trying to do any less. Mm. 
I, I model my career after a few people. You know, I, I look at, of course, Toni Morrison from a writing standpoint, but mm-hmm. just her grace and the way that she, you know, put the work in, getting up at five o'clock every morning. And she was a mom. She, I mean, she had way more on her plate. I look at Oprah in many ways. And, you know, I, I, I some things that, I, you know, I like, and then you chew up the meat, spit out the bones. Who, who's your inspiration artistically? Artistically, um, I mean, it sounds like, typical but Denzel I mean Denzel Washington my favorite thing about Denzel that is that if you look at his early works he didn't sag his pants throw a gun around throw up gang signs to get somewhere you know he didn't do that on camera to get somewhere he was a strong leading man and when he was a strong leading man he was he was the man and it didn't matter who was in it what white person what star was in it when Denzel was in it you were looking at Denzel and that's why Denzel is and, and I think that came from his knowledge of knowing that he didn't have money opportunities, especially back then. The When They See Us of the World and Moonlights of the World did not exist back in his time. And when he was doing something iconic, it was supporting a white man. But when he mm-hmm. was, when he was, you looked at him and you looked at him only. And there's a strength in that, and there's a power in that. And I looked up to that as a kid, and I couldn't even pinpoint why I looked up to it. I just knew it. I just felt it. I'd watch him, and I'd feel it. And it wasn't until the past few years where I'm realizing the position that I can try to build for myself is that it's kind of similar to what Denzel was doing back then, you know? And so um, I'd have to say Denzel is, 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 one of, is probably my biggest inspiration when it comes to film acting in general. Did you learn now, anything working with Idris? I'm sorry. Just... Idris Elba. Say it again. Did you learn anything working with Idris Elba? Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get to see him a ton. My character only shares one scene within the entire film. So uh, e- even though our characters are connected throughout the whole movie, I only had one scene with him. So I saw him once. And that's a man who, when you see him, you got to see him for five seconds and he's out of there. So what I did learn from him is mm. that you can be the coolest man in the world and still be humble. You know, you could be the smoothest, charming, dope, where everybody looks at you like, oh, my God, you know, and you could see it on the set, but then you could still see it in his face that there's this realness in him that hasn't been tainted. And I don't know how much work it took for him to keep that, but he came up to me and he complimented me on my work, and it felt like I had known him for so long, probably because I had been watching him growing up, but it felt like I had spoken to him before. This wasn't the first time we spoke. And I think that takes authenticity in someone to feel that, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think what I learned is that, shoot, you can always stay grounded no matter what. And yeah. meeting him was the proof of that, for sure. Now, you did When You See Us. You're telling us now that you're 22. So you did When, when, when They See Us, fairly mm-hmm. young. And that was a heavy role. And I read that it took its toll on you uh, mentally, that whereas you had to seek therapy. Um, do you think that therapy coming on the other side of that made you a better person or a better actor? Both is why I'm here now speaking the way I'm speaking now, for sure. I was a kid two years ago. I was, I was a kid, you know, I was, I was immature. I was running around, you know, I was a kid and I felt like a kid being thrown into this world of adults. I mean, I've always been the youngest since the beginning now, even at the Emmys, everyone's looking at me like, oh, there's the kid, there's the kid, there's the kid. You know, and so doing that role, just like you could see it on the on in the show where you see me go from a kid to a man, that's exactly what happened in those months of shooting. 
mm. that pain and that emotional deterioration I went through made me stronger. Like what doesn't kill you makes you stronger type thing where it's like second I came out of it, I realized things that I needed to do for myself that Corey was able to do in prison that made him the man he is. I do not relate to that pain entirely at all. I can't, no one can. No one could be in those shoes. That's a different type of pain. He still did the same things that we all team is to keep pushing and to keep going. And he blocked the world out to focus on himself, to focus on what he can do. He put himself in isolation so he can spend time figuring out where the truth is in him so he can overcome all the false crap that's happening around him. Everyone's lying to him. Everyone's tricking him. But he believed in himself. That's how he made it through. I could take that and put it into my life in a lot of ways. This fame, people could say all kinds of things. I get a lot of praise, thankfully. But I, if there's one comment that says something about my chat lips or something else, I, I see that first. I only see that. I don't know why. It's one comment versus 900, hey, you look great. No, you, that one guy said, nah, you don't look good, kid. That's who I'm listening to. And so that's the lie that's being fed to me. But why is my mind choosing to, to absorb that over everything else? So instead of absorbing that, put it away. Ignore it and realize that you can still be yourself and do what you do on your own time. For me, acting is what I do and not who I am. You know, mm-hmm. rapping is the same thing. It's what I do and not who I am. When you think of someone like Denzel, we're like, oh, greatest actor. For all we know, Denzel could be the greatest fisherman as well. And he can catch a fish a day. And we don't know. But that's, that makes him who he is as a person. And I've always been inspired by his silence. You know, he's not in your face. Denzel, don't come mm-hmm. in. You don't know what he's doing on a Sunday night, you know. And so right. that makes me happy because I feel like that is the longevity for his life, not only his career. And I look at Denzel as a man, as a human being, as an artist, not just an actor. I think he's I think he's a full person. I wish I got to know it more, but I think he's a full person. And so that's what I want to make sure that I remember for myself is that I'm a full person. I'm not an object or a machine or um, I'm not a website. You know, I think that I'm a person with ideas, goals. I like more than rap. I like more than acting. I like to do things, but I don't always necessarily need to share it all because shoot, if I didn't have this platform, people wouldn't be looking at me. People wouldn't ask me anything. You know, you see me at the grocery store and you'd be like, are you online? And that's about it. <laughs> you know, now I'm at the grocery store and thank God for the mask. That's been cool. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a different feeling. And if you would have told me five years ago that I had all this and, and the Emmy and the fame, I would have been jumping up and down. I would have said, let's go buy some champagne and pop some bottles and celebrate and go off missing the idea that it can also be very scary and a lot of pressure put onto you. So back to your question, after I did When They See Us, it built a lot of character in me and it built a lot of strength in me. And then for it to unfold how it did for me and for Corey made me feel like this is a blessing I can't take for granted. I got to learn from this blessing and I got to learn from the experience. I can't treat When They See Us like it was just some project I did. When They See Us, taught me everything in life, a lot of things in life. Mm-hmm. And Corey Wise himself taught me a lot of things in life that I'm going to hold on to forever, and I'm very grateful mm-hmm. for it, very grateful for it. I got to spend one evening with him. We were on a panel together shortly after he was uh, released from prison, and I was shook to my core by his spirit, and it was the, you could still feel the pain on him. 
Mm-hmm. Has he? And when I'm listening to you right now, it feels as if he's moved through it. And I want to definitely shout out Ava DuVernay for having the foresight to make sure that there were counselors and therapists and that people got to 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 go through and deal. Was there an mm-hmm. evolution with him? Because I was thinking, man, whatever happened to him in that space was so horrific that he's going to be carrying that with him for the rest of his life. And I, I, I my heart poured out for him. Mm. Is he still carrying that? I know. They always will. All five of them. That you, I don't think you can ever drop that, no matter what you do. It's about the strength you build to help it. You know, that's about it. I think there was a huge evolution for Corey during the shooting of this process. I mean, if you think about it, it's 30 years later for these men that they're on this Netflix set to do this movie. It's 30 years. It wasn't five years ago. It's 30 years of having to live with it first before the world gets to appreciate it and turn it into a powerful story. It was never a powerful story. It was always a heartbreaking story for them. So like you said, his spirit is unbreakable and you have to build that. You can't just, you don't magically, you're not born with that. I think you have to build that type of spirit and that type of strength. So when I met Corey, the first thing he told me, and I was crying, I was crying my eyes out because I met him at the table read. So I was reading his part in front of him. That's how I met him. That's, how, that's the, kind of the first experience we had together. And I was crying my eyes out, feeling so much pain just having these men right here in the room. And I, after the reading, I went up to him crying, and he told me to, to stop crying. He said, baby boy, stop crying. This isn't a story of sadness. This is a story of triumph. I won. You know, so turn that around and, and, and don't cry. Mm. And when he told me that, that's probably maybe the first one of the first few things he told me. It all switched that I'm not about to tell a story of heartbreak or sadness. I'm about to tell a story of triumph and overcoming. I'm not about to tell a story of five black boys being put under. I'm about to tell a story of five black boys overcoming being put under. And that is what switched for me in my life in general, you know, and meeting Corey and learning that aspect that if he can go through what he went through and tell me that 30 years later, and I can go through any damn thing too. We can all go through anything, you know, as long as we, as long as we build that character and build that strength. And it really takes having a dialogue with yourself, not with anybody else. He, if he, listen to the cops and to the judges and listen to everybody. Imagine him starting to think that he actually did it when he never did it. Imagine him starting to feel that. That is what would have been natural. But he blocked that, and he had to block that, and he had to know the truth, and he had to know his truth, which is why one of my favorite scenes in When They See Us is when I'm doing push-ups, and he's like, hey, you got your hearing. And he's like, hell no, I'm not going. If they don't want to hear my truth, I have nothing to say. That mentality, that, that was built in him, and you have to build that. That inspired me in every way. Jarrell Jerome, uh, Concrete Cowboy, it's out now. It's out now. Tell me about your character. It's about a kid, Caleb, uh, who plays in, uh, what's that, that uh, Netflix spooky thing? With Stranger the kids, with the changes, mm-hmm. Stranger Things, yeah. He's the black kid in Stranger Things. He's the one, right? right? What's your relationship to him, to Idris Elba? What's your character? Yeah. Who are you playing? Uh, yes, um, Caleb is pretty much the main person I'm playing with this in this entire film. I play his cousin. Um, and yeah, Caleb plays a kid named, which is funny you said the black kid from Stranger Things because I always go up to him like, yo, you're the black kid from Stranger Things, right? <laughs> and it's true. But I'm really proud of him because this role is about to do so much for him. And I think it's, um, he's going to be introduced to the black community in a whole new light and a whole different way. And we're going to definitely appreciate him and his voice because he has a voice. 
Um, he has a very big voice beyond being the black kid from Stranger Things. So I'm excited yeah. for him. But he played Cole, who's just this troubled teenager from Detroit who ends up being moved to Philly because he's just, you know, running wild and being bad with his friends. So his mom sends him to live with his dad in Philly. And his dad um, owns a ranch in Philly, which is, a, this is real. So I, I don't know if you guys know about just like urban horseback riding. Like I know you mm-hmm. probably heard about the Compton Cowboys, but there's a ton of ranches in Philly as well. And, it's you know, it's Baltimore cow- and Baltimore. Yeah, there's a couple in mm-hmm. Baltimore. It's just black cowboys. I mean, with the true, true love for horseback riding and, you know, American film, has turned cowboys into, you know, this kind of great white hero story. And we know the Westerns and we know all the classics and all that stuff. But there's such a strong, deep culture for black horseback riding in this country. It's unbelievable and it's beautiful and it's family-based. That's the best part. It's all family-based. And so in Philadelphia right now, there's a stable. They're actually... um, struggling to stay up due to gentrification and people trying to come in and put a damn Starbucks where the stable is. But the stable is meant to bring kids, you know, take kids out of the hood, you know, take kids out of these crimes and out of these drug-ridden scenarios by putting them in a stable to tend to horses and chicken and cows and animals right there in Philly, right there where you where you heard the gunshot at last night, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's this crazy mix of darkness and beauty when you when you watch this movie because I'm playing a character named Smush who is the main character's cousin who is a drug dealer and very deep in the life of crime but in his heart he loves horses and he loves horseback riding and all he wants to do one day is take that money and buy stables and raise horses now when you think of a drug dealer on your block I think the last thing you think is that he wants to buy a ton of horses and live on a farm and be somebody. When you think of a drug dealer, you think, ah, man, his life is done. Ah, he went down the wrong path, and that's it. Boom, jail in five years, dead by ten. That's, that, that's the unfortunate. But the best thing about playing Smush is that I got to show the side of a drug dealer who doesn't want to be a drug dealer. He just has to because of the system that he's in and the world that he's in where he can't come up for anything. He can't make a dime for anything. So what does he do? He sells drugs to his friends so he can make money and get out of there. So for me, my favorite thing about taking on a role is a role that challenges you or makes you see somebody in a different light or in a different way, in a way that you wouldn't think. So when you watch this film, I hope you see this thug in me, this thug, thug, thug. Oh, he's tough. Oh, he's cool. But really, he's a punk. He's a punk who loves to get on a horse and ride that mother freaker out of here, you know? So there's a real cool beauty in it. You're a real cool beauty, Jarrell. Uh, let me let me uh, throw this at you, because that's Lamont King. That's Lunell. Uh, Lamont King is rey de todas las cosas divertidas. What is that? You say it again? Rey de todas las cosas divertidas. Well, all the things are different or something? What you saying? No, no, no. Rey de todas las cosas divertidas. Uh-oh, I'm looking really bad right now. Yep, yep, minute, I just wanted I to test know, you. Are you, are you. Is that Latin? for both of us? Are you, are you Latin? No, it's, I didn't know you were Latin. Yes, he, yes, he is. I'm Did you grow up, yeah. You're Dominican. Did you grow up speaking oh. Spanish, or do you, mm-hmm. did you not? No. Okay, all right, I no. apologize no. for doing that. I'm not trying to, no, I'm not trying no, to expose you. No, no, you're good. I'm, I'm first generation here. It's definitely something that, um, 
that weighs on me a lot. I definitely would love to learn Spanish. My, it weighs on my mom, too. She's out here like, damn, I should have taught you growing up. But um, I'm first generation here, so I understand most of it. I'm just I'm just very wobbly with it, especially Rusty. these days. All right. So well, Lamont's the king of all here. things funny. We are learning. We're using Friday as a, a launch pad to teaching and learning Spanish. And Rey de todas las cosas divertidas is king. That's Lamont King, king of all things funny. And you, sir, uh, let me thank you. Yeah, I'm giving you that. And we're going to play some of your music on the way out. Let me uh, thank you for being here. You are a pleasure. Concrete Cowboy. We're going to be checking out Concrete Cowboys out now. Um, and, and Smith, let's, let's play a, a little bit of uh, my man on the way out. Let me...